Hey, I'm Josh. And I'm Kevin. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we have Tyler Martin-Nolich, the film commissioner for Tampa Bay. Um, I've known Tyler for a long time. He was a professor of mine at the University of Tampa. I worked several films with him after getting out of school and kind of working my way up through the industry. He has a really strong knowledge of, you know, film production. He obviously being a film commissioner, he knows the industry, especially the Tampa industry, like the back of his hand. Um, but he also has amazing stories. I don't think you will ever meet anyone that has some of more entertaining stories than Tyler. All right, gentlemen. So Tyler, thanks for uh, stopping on by. Absolutely, and, guys. And um, you know, I, I'm personally excited because I've only had very, um, I think, one or two very brief conversations with you. I know you and Josh go way back. Uh, uh, what five, five film years? School. Oh, film no, schools. Film yeah. schools. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm literally just saying five years. I think the almost ten years at this point. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah, over a decade, really now, because 2018 was ten. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you're uh, you're a year and a half year into being a. The film commissioner of Tampa? A uh, year and a half. Okay. Uh, the unofficially, it was is two years at this point. Okay. Well, we'll go with the uh, unofficial just because it sounds better. Yeah, two that's years. right. <laughs> um, what, simple question for me is why? what caused you to be the film commissioner? You just woke up one day and you're just like, I'm going to be the Tampa film commissioner. Uh, this is a secret for everyone out there working in film industry. Healthcare is amazing, <laughs> uh, and you don't always get it. Um, it you know, it's, it's a rarity. There's so few production companies that actually have full-time hires. Yeah. Um, I mean, locally, I think Spectrum, which actually just rebranded to, uh, to Remedy, uh, I think they're really one of the only ones, maybe Blue Water, a couple others. Uh, but it's mostly 1099 contract hires, right? And yep. Unless you're in the union, and, and even then, unless you're getting enough hours every year, you're probably not having access to healthcare. There's just a point in your life, uh, we were talking before we started the podcast about, about children, you know, you, you get to a certain age and all of a sudden you start thinking about the future and, and how to settle down and how to be, quote unquote, an adult, right? Right. Uh, and for me, I was, I think, 32 or 33, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, God, what if I get sick tomorrow? I mean, this is, you know, serious, uh, and so I have no way to pay question, for this. Yeah. Um, and out of the blue, I think I was just coming off of... Uh, I think it was Sunlight Junior, mm -hmm. uh, which we worked on together. Uh, that was the that Matt. Uh, who was in that? No. Matt Dillon and Naomi Dillon, Watts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, that was a film a couple years back. I was coming off of that, and I was feeling fine. You know, I was actually much better shape back then than I was today. Ironically, um, that's what healthcare does. It makes you feel overly comfortable about getting <laughs> fat and uh, and getting diabetes. <laughs> I don't have diabetes, by the way. Um, but I, something just clicked in my head, and I was like, I need healthcare. Like, I need to be an adult. I need a house. Like, I was living in an apartment. It's like, how am I 32 and I don't own a house? And I don't know if it's 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 the same for, for y'all's generation. I'm assuming you're, you're slightly younger than I am. But there was still a whole lot of pressure for, for my generation to still have that, quote, unquote, American dream, right? You, mm. you want the house. You want the... The picket fence, the the wife, the the the, the kids, and the, the the dog in the front yard, and I didn't have any of that at thirty two. I was like, "Crap, man! Like, what, what am I? What am I going to be an adult?" So, uh, out of the blue, um, I ran into a previous film commissioner at a Film Florida event, and she was hiring. I'm just sitting there thinking, "Wow, like, am I going to apply for this?" And I, ironically, I didn't. And they they went through the the hiring process, couldn't find anybody, but a conversation I had with her somehow boomerang back and at one point she she reached out and we started a conversation i ended up going to work for him but honest to god the actual deciding factor was can i get health care 
yes, I will do that. <laughs> will this job make me an adult? <laughs> will this job make me an adult? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then here I am, you know, six years later, and uh, I've moved up in the ranks, and now I'm the actual film commissioner. So when you started there, what were you doing when you started there? I mean, I was... Our film commission, depending on how film commission is structured, and there's film commissions are ubiquitous across the country, though only Florida has as many... Um, as we do compared to a state like uh, Georgia, which has Atlanta, and they have like a smaller uh, film commission in Savannah. I think there's almost like 132 film commissions or film liaisons or someone who will pick up the phone if you need a permit uh, across the state. So depending on how you're structured, there's either a lot of people, like Palm Beach County has 10 employees, or uh, when we first started out, it was just me and the commissioner at the time. So there was two of us. So what did I do? I did literally everything. Everything. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no one to really delegate at that point. Um, At the time, the the film commissioner was Dale Gordon, and she really focused more on the legislative um, and political aspects of the job and I was doing everything else. And I'm I'm not a bureaucrat. I have never worked in government prior to this. So I didn't know how to do the job any other way than what I had already been doing in the film industry, which was production management and line producing. So I was naive in offering services that no other film commission did across the state. Because most film commissioners, there's some, I'm not going to name anybody, but they've been in the job for 30 plus years. You know, they're so institutionalized and how red tape works. And instead of cutting through that red tape, they're the ones literally pulling it out of the drawers and putting it up everywhere they can, right? I mean, they, they're always roadblocks. I didn't know how to do that stuff. I mean, most people I was talking to were people I'd worked with before or I knew or I was close friends with, and I'm, I'm not going to fail them. So, hell, you need parking? Sure, I'll get the bags. And, you know, I was the idiot who ran downstairs the parking garage, and I would grab all their, their meter bags, and I'd be the one out there at, at 2 in the morning bagging meters for, for location managers that I knew. No one else that I've ever encountered has done any of that stuff as far as a service from a film commission. So I think I overworked myself those first couple of years. I mean, I literally I was doing everything in addition to the permitting. And that's both helped and hurt our market overall. I think it helps because we offer customer service that you don't find in a lot of other uh, municipalities or film commissions. But it's also a hell of a lot of work. And at this point in my career, I can't backtrack and take those services away. So I stupidly <laughs> overloaded my plate, and now that plate's only grown. Um, but thankfully, as I've, I've transitioned to being the film commissioner, we've continued to get a lot of great support, and I've actually been able to expand my office. So uh, we're now up to three people, which doesn't sound huge compared to the 10 people in Palm Beach County, but we're a mighty three, and we get a whole lot of stuff done. Great. Before before you became to that point, what did you do? Like, I know, so we go back as far as film school, as we said before, you were a adjunct at that time, or? Yeah, so um, I, I went to the Spanish College of Art and Design, uh, where I got my MFA in film and television, and when I graduated there, I stuck around. Like, I mean, I think that's really one of the only reasons to go to graduate school, is to, to find people you work well with and play with bigger toys. Um, and I think a lot of us... At the time, we were happy in Savannah, so like, let's start our own little production company, and we did, and there was, there was a couple of us, and right out of the gate, we got a, a pretty good contract with NOAA, which is what the National mm-hmm. Oceanic, whatever the hell it is, um, a government organization, pretty much, right? They do all the, the water testing and the atmospheric stuff uh, for the U.S. government, and they had not updated their training videos since like the 70s. Like, this is the most crazy stuff you'd ever see, you know, with like guy in a lab coat and a huge fro and, you know, one camera set up and they probably shot it on a, a, a Betamax camera. And it was just, it was, the quality was just awful. And they came to us 
I didn't even come to us. I actually bid on this job. Um, and it's like, hey, you need to redo all these training videos. It's like, how much could they possibly pay for this or charge for this? Like, I don't, I don't know. And I put out some absurd number and I got the contract, which means I was the lowest bidder. So I mean, clearly everyone else was, I mean, and it came to, it come to find out, like I was like 40% lower than the nearest competitor. So I really didn't know what I was getting into, but it was, it was good money for the first couple of years. Um, we were, were doing these little odd jobs and all we were doing really is, is updating all their old training videos, which sounds boring as hell. And it was, but I was living in Savannah. There's plenty of other fun things to do. And we were making just absurd money. Um, uh, and I look back at that. And I was like, God, I wish I just kept that contract going. Um, <laughs> Even at the 40% discount. Yeah, really. I mean, I was totally happy with that. I had very little overhead. I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have kids. Still don't have kids, but I mean, literally it was just me. I was trying to, to look out for And I didn't care about healthcare at the time. Yeah. Um, I wasn't quite at that age yet. Uh, and Contract ran out. I probably could have stuck around longer in Savannah, but a friend of mine who was at that time the, the department chair at the University of Tampa um, called me up on like a Friday, and he was like, hey, I need another professor. Like, we're, we're trying to expand the department. Would you be interested in teaching? And I had literally gone to grad school so I wouldn't have to teach. Like, that was <laughs> never in my, my future as far as I could tell. There I am on a Friday night with a beer in my hand talking to someone on the phone, and the idea comes to me. It's like, Wow, you know, I mean, that doesn't sound too difficult. I could do that. Like, when do you need me? Monday. It's like, oh, okay. I just packed up my bags and, and drove back to uh, to Tampa and uh, started teaching, which is where I met Josh. Um, he was my student at the time. I don't remember if you were a junior or a senior at the time, but uh, I came in as a junior. Junior. I yeah. already had my two years. Yeah. So, uh, so that's how I, I got back to Tampa Bay. But I was adjuncting, and for anyone who who goes to college. Respect your adjuncts. They are teaching for so little money, so little money. I mean, it's it's almost absurd. So uh, I'll disclose how much, just for the hell of it, right? <laughs> let's let's let's, uh, let's put some numbers out there. Uh, for a semester, when I first started out, for the entire semester, guess how much I was being paid per class? For the entire semester? Entire semester. Per class? Per class. God. Seven fifty. Oh, that's actually even less than. Uh, I was I was hoping you guess. Uh, some, some, uh, that's spot on. Spot on. Uh, $1,100 is where I started out. Wow. And that's per class for the entire semester, which is three months. So break that down. You are making less teaching than I could making at the drive-thru of Taco Bell. Uh, completely honest. And I was teaching three classes, and even then... That's not enough to pay for rent. Thirty three hundred bucks yeah. for for three months? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So I I quickly I never stopped teaching, uh, but I quickly transformed to doing that only at night or as, as few classes as I could, and I really tried to supplement by getting on other jobs. And because I'd gone to SCAD and there had been a, a quite a few movies that had gone through SCAD features, I had some pretty decent feature uh, experience behind me. And um, there was a couple of uh, really crappy horror movies uh, that were coming through town that I ended up jumping on really quick, either to uh, production manager, line produce. And then we did Sunlight Junior, which I actually helped to bring here. Um, they were looking in this market. And the way at the time it was, there was no film commission in Tampa, but there was in St. Pete. But the St. Pete film commissioner could not go over the county line. So when we were trying to do a familiarization tour with them, they needed someone to keep driving on the other side of the bridge to show them the rest of the locations, which is absurd as that sounds, but that's just how broken government is sometimes. Wow. Um, but I knew the film commissioner at the time, and they reached out and said, hey, 
could you hold these guys' hands and do the fam tour for both sides? The band's like, sure. Got talking, became uh, pretty good friends with one of the producers, and I thought that I lost them. And six months later, they called back and said, hey, we're coming back. Um, we'd like you to be the production manager on this. I said, sure. So happy coincidences like that. I kept jumping onto one production after the other or commercials. Um, so I, I had a pretty pretty good career. I was certainly making all my bills, um, which at that time was becoming more and more important to me as I got older and that clock started ticking in my head like, adult, adult, you got to be an adult. Uh, and then, I, like I already mentioned it, but that's how I, I ended up going to the film commission. It was oh, just this, another happy experience, you know, happy chance. 32 hit and the alarm went off. That's right. That's right. And I didn't have eggs to worry about, but I did have health care to worry about. So it's like, <laughs> God damn it, I got to gotta. <laughs> Do something now, being an adult. So here I am. All right. So with that, with that experience, um, someone reaches out to the um, to your office. Um, you know, just any generic filmmaker. What do you want them to know when, when they're when they're calling you um, and they're just um, they're talking about getting a permit or they're talking about uh, they're just looking to get some questions or answered? Is there something that you're always kind of um, pushing uh, your website? Any sort of videos you guys have? Any content? What what's kind of the biggest um you know there, there's really no one shoe that size that fits all and i think that really is predicated on the experience level of the person i'm talking to and i hold people to different standards if it's a a student calling i will be more than happy to handhold as much as i can so they actually learn something they understand the experience and they know that i'm not saying no to anything i'm really not um unless it's just something a, a, objectively dangerous, you know, if I say no to something, I always try to give a way to get to yes. Like if you just had a little more experience or you wanted to pay for a police officer, you want to do these things, we can get you to yes. So I'm happy to do that at that low end of the experience level. But if you're a well-known production manager, or you've been doing this for a while, I hold you to a really high standard. You should know what the hell you're doing. And it's when people come to me and they barely fill out a permit application. They have no parking plan. They don't know where they're going to land. They have no idea where catering is going to be setting up. That's when I start scratching my head. Of like, how do you operate in another market? Like, has no one ever asked you these questions before? How did you get to the point you are making as much money as you are without knowing these things or, or not caring about these things? Things just don't happen because you show up the day of, right? right? Um, it takes a lot of planning. And, and everyone in this room right now has been on film sets before. I mean, there's a lot of logistics to, to consider. You can't just roll up, especially if you have the clients there that day, right? No one wants to see a, a shit show going on in the background uh, because your caterer had to park 25 blocks away and no one can get to craft services. And, you know, your G&E uh, truck is two blocks the other direction. You can't get any of your, your equipment to where it needs to be. That's stuff that's unacceptable for a client to see. So you have to think about these things. And that's that's one of the biggest issues I have with people who call in or or send me a permit application is they don't have any developed logistical plan. And that's sometimes excusable if it's a producer and I'm not dealing directly with the uh, production manager, location manager. But at a certain level, a professional should know what is and is not acceptable. Um, so to, to answer your question, the first thing I am expecting someone or I direct them to is just some of our, our logistical features. Like, what can we help you with? Like, here's parking. We will help you with parking. But I am not, at this point in my career, walking downstairs and tracking down parking space numbers individually uh, over a 12-block you know, uh, uh, space downtown. That's not for me to do, right? Find a PA or go out there in yourself and do those things. I can help you get those bags. I can make sure your parking is set up the day of. 
but at least do yourself the favor of tracking down those numbers, figure out where things are parking. And if you can't do it, I'm happy to offer suggestions. And I do that all the time, especially for producers who are outside of the state or they've never been to Tampa Bay before. I mean, that's why you call film commissions. You hope the person you're talking to knows more about that location than you do. But it's really sometimes the locals who test my patience the most. Uh, I won't, again, I won't name anybody, but you know, sometimes it's like, God, you've been working in this market for 20 years. You know there's no parking near you. Why would you pick that location? Why would you offer that location yeah. up? Um, you know, and sometimes you can have a really amazing location, but it's just not filmable. And there's at least a half dozen houses in Hyde Park alone that I can think of that productions have tried to shoot at. And there's just no way to park uh, the size of the crew that they're looking for for that particular project. It's like, where are you going to get them? How do you get them from point A to point B? Where are you setting up? You just can't block the road. And it's just things that, you know, You'd think a local would, would know, but sometimes they don't. And, you know, that can be excusable to a certain extent. But, you know, something that's not excusable is, you know, trying to shoot during Gasparilla. Gasparilla's been going on for 100 years. Uh, and for those who are listening and are not from Tampa Bay, Gasparilla is the third largest parade in the United States uh, behind uh, uh, Macy's Day Parade and um, uh, Ga- what it was. Rose Bowl. Uh, no, no. Uh, one in New Orleans. Oh, Mardi, Mardi, Gras. Gras. Mardi Gras. Thank you. So you're talking about a half million people. And it takes almost an entire month to set up for this parade. Uh, all of the, the homes in this particular location we're talking about gets barricaded with, with fencing. You, vendors have to come in and out. And I've had people call up and say, hey, can we cancel Gasparilla this year? It's like, no, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not canceling a parade that brings in a half million people to the city. Like, you're insane. This has been going on for 100 years, and it's always the same weekend. Like, it's not shifting. How do you not know this? Um, I so, just seen a Josh Gates episode. You did, where yeah. They, where they were filming during Gasparilla. Did they just show up, or did mm. they actually get permits from you? That was an amazing story. So uh, the, the the show is called Expedition Unknown, which is, mm-hmm. um, I think it was one of the top-rated shows. Yeah, my wife loves it. Um, I do, too, actually. I've been following him since his like sci-fi channel, like Bigfoot hunting days. Uh, Josh Gage is the host. But uh, they wanted to film Gasparilla. And the, the whole conceit of the show is he, he goes and, and uncovers mysteries. And the whole idea yep. for this episode was the uh, the treasure of Jose Gaspar, yep. which is a, a weird treasure to hunt because he objectively <laughs> never existed. Uh, so you can't really find something. It from is an called fictional, Expedition Unknown. It, it, the, yes. Well, uh, I don't think they found anything, uh, but it was a good episode. And it is, I love the show. I'd highly recommend it. But they wanted to shoot during Gasparilla. It was very important for them. And they've never been to Tampa Bay. They did some little research online. And we kept trying to explain to them how big and massive and sprawling this event is. And I just don't think they appreciated it until they actually got here. And they're like, oh, oh, no. Like, this is <laughs> this is a lot to take in. And uh, worse, he was coming from another sci-fi convention. And he had to actually fly in the day of. And oh, his geez. flight got into Tampa International Airport, which on paper isn't very far. But during Gasparilla, it's that far. could be a three-hour drive yeah. with with traffic because everything's blocked off. They're doing detours everywhere. I mean, you, you can't even get really south of Kennedy or south. It's no, just un, we, almost unreachable. He landed, and if he had been late by five minutes, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, but he landed 30 minutes before the parade started. So we had to get him from TIA, get him dressed in a pirate's costume, and on to the uh, float that he was supposed to be on for the, the, the parade. The only way that we were able to do that is we had to get um, uh, Florida Highway Patrol to mm. pick him up at the airport and personally escort him through the barricades to get him there. And we made it within 
I think five Jeez. minutes or less. Wow. Cause that's, I mean, as, as great as it is to have that show representing Tampa Bay and the parade again, this parade has been going on for a hundred years. It brings a half million people in. Yeah. They are not holding that parade for, 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 anybody. for, for one host for a TV show. <laughs> um, so that's something that, that my office coordinated. We, right. we handled all of those details. We got them from point A to point B and we worked with uh, visit Tampa Bay, which is my parent company, uh, the visitor bureau to make sure that everything was running appropriately. So he got onto that one float Wow. Uh, just to make that, that work. And it, what, that's maybe the first five minutes of that particular episode. Yeah. It's uh, the lead in basically. And, but you would have never have known. I mean, it, no. looked, it looked like it went off well. They were, you know, the scene worked. So it took almost two months of solid planning for that five wow. minutes to, to show up on screen. Wow. And that's filmmaking at its finest. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a logistical nightmare. Uh, constantly you're running into things like that. That's even worse for people that do commercials where their commercials on screen for 30 to 60 seconds. And there's no telling how long they're planning that and prepping. And they might've been a week shoot for 60 seconds on TV. You know, we all know that all too well. I mean, just some of the examples you gave in Tampa, um, Josh and I have lived having a, uh, a five ton, um, several blocks way too far away. Yeah. Not with no, (laughs) with no gator, no way to get anything but manpower, you know? So you're just, we we had a shoot that we had to park it in a, in a lot and it was not in walking distance. So we, we took, um, my truck and Andrew's truck actually, and packed the beds of the truck with, um, as much stuff as we can get off of a five ton, which I just have a Chevy and he has a GMC with just very standard trucks. They're not steak beds. Yeah. And and we're just, we're taking as much as we can get off of a five ton. It's like, um, that's not much. That's not, I mean, we're just, we get to set and we start working and we're like, yeah, we could use this. We could use this. We could use this. Can't get it. Yeah. SOL. Just keep on going. And that kind of takes me back to something that you said, which is, you know, the preparation for everyone and how you kind of run that. Where do you feel like that, that gap in knowledge, how do you feel like that's getting there? Because we run into that all the time, which is, people in a production manager or coordinator or a producer, you know, position, and they have no concept of how things have to be done or how it gets done. And, and I sit there and I question all the time of like, how are you here? So where do you feel like that gap? Is it school? Is it like, where is that gap? This is stuff you couldn't learn in school. And, and there's no film school that I know of that would teach these things because it's controlled chaos at any given moment on a right. film set. And I've had people die in a film set. I'll tell that story here in a second. <laughs> uh, I know that. But one. just random things will happen that in a million years, and it will never happen on another set, by the way. It'll only happen that one time, and you have to, you're, you have to be there to deal with it. So you can't teach these things. But to, to, to get at the heart of your question, I think there's a combination of two things. One, as a lot of your bigger creative agencies or even bigger corporations have turned more inward and they've started creating their own production arm within themselves. I feel like there is a skill gap. It's people that was it's Bob and IT, right? Who can plug in a router, but he's never worked a camera before. All of a sudden it's like, here, do this. Or it's someone on the more of the, the creative agency level who, again, has all the experience in the world on the creative side, but has not had any experience on the practical side. I, I run into that a lot. Um, so I think that's that's issue number one. Issue number two, commercials in particular are guilty of not hiring location scouts or location managers or coordinators. They try to, to put way too much work on a very small set of people. And they do that for budgetary reasons and for, for other reasons as well. But 
all of a sudden a producer who's great at building a budget is now having to think of logistical questions that has no experience dealing with those things before. Or you have a production manager who maybe does have location experience, but they're so busy doing a million other things that they can't put enough mental real estate on that one lane to make sure that logistics are, are taken care of or parking's taken care of or housing, you know, where, where are you putting your crew at? These are questions that an individual should be dealing with, not the person at the top who's having to deal with a hundred other things. Right. And you see that more and more. And I don't know if that's just a paradigm shift and it'll swing back the other way at some point. For the last three or four years, there's been multi-million dollar commercials that I've, I've worked very closely with that did not have a location manager, which just yeah. blows my mind. Um, even feature films I've, I've seen, especially in the, the two million or below. And yeah. you get that a lot in like the, I was going to say in the indie 000. world, it feels like that's one of the first positions that kind of get cut yeah. when the budget gets tight. What turns into a PA, a PA is yeah. the one who just goes to locations that they're told to go to. Yeah. And then are in charge of also parking. They and have no concept. I, I won't disclose the uh, the production, but there was a, a very high end independent feature that just shot recently in the Tampa Bay area. And that's a several million dollar feature. I mean, they they didn't. It wasn't like a true indie where you know quote unquote indie where it's like two hundred thousand or below. I mean, they had money, but they did not spend any money on locations. Instead, they promoted a PA uh, to that position. To your point, and he just as nice as he was and as interested as he was in trying to learn the position, that was not the situation to have on the job training, right? They had a lot of moving parts, um, some very well-known casts that had to be taken care of. And we were literally scrambling almost every single day to try to find them a place to land either that same day or the next day. And this should have been stuff that was taken care of months before. Um, so I think it's just, it's not necessarily a combination. It's not, it's not necessarily that they don't have the education behind them. It's that the structure is no longer as formulaic as it used to be where, or delineated as it used to be where, you know, you do have all these staff people with hands-on experience doing these one things. It's the jack of all trade syndrome that I think is really hurting a lot of productions. Yeah. I would, I would agree. And I don't know, I don't know really how you go to fix it outside of, like you said, the pendulum swinging back or, you know, film schools or someone starting to take that up and decide we're going to start teaching this stuff. But, you know, that kind of goes back to film schools, which is there's so much stuff at film school, you know, that you get left out of learning. I mean, business acumen, you know, really kind of learning what all those little tools and tips that you're going to need when you get out, just kind of get swept under the rug for the art, yeah. you know? And of course now some film schools you go to like FSU or USC, they're definitely more business minded, you know, the Stern school, you can learn a lot there in the producing class. But when you go to the smaller places, they're so concentrated on the art side of it that you're really not set up yeah. to do anything outside And, and of as school. a former teacher, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I say this against my own personal interest because I did go to to graduate school for filmmaking. But if a student of mine today came to me and said, hey, I'm interested in going to graduate school, I would tell them immediately, don't go to film school, go get an MBA. Hmm. Focus on business. You've already learned as much as you, you probably are going to from the creative side. I mean, really the only thing at a grad school level would give you more experience. Well, it'd give you more experience to be doing more projects. You have hands-on, hopefully, with higher-end equipment. But it's not like uh, a, a Panther dolly works any different as far aesthetically as, as a, a doorway dolly does, right? It's right. The still uh, the idea moving back and forward and, and getting the, the camera up off the ground. 
that's just having a fancier toy to play with. Whereas having an MBA and really understanding how financing works, understanding how to, you know, pull all the business pieces together, either to put together a film or to run a competent business, yeah. that stuff is not, not taught. So anyone that came to me and said, Hey, should I go to grad school? Go get an MBA instead. Yeah. Damn. I wish I would have heard that years yeah. ago. Cause we, we had that conversation, um, you know, in, in a past episode where I had an advisor uh, tell me to get a English minor instead of a business minor. Um, that English minor has done me jack shit. Yeah. So because yeah. right now um, my wife proofreads anything that's of um, or uh, my marketing coordinator proofreads anything that's, of, you know, of interest or high level because... I still have trouble spelling. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, that's just today's day and age. Um, but but uh, I've had to learn the business side um, on the fly, and I mean I've gotten I've gotten advice from various individuals, and that's great. But you know I'm reading business articles online to understand more of the film business, not not the uh, the opposite. Yeah, I mean I I can only imagine what my you know, business capacity would have been if I would have started soaking that up when I was at a much better age to soak it up as opposed to now having to come kind of post-mortem and like relearn, you know, I'm the old guy going to school, but I'm doing it from my home now, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know in any other way you do it. I don't know how you fix that. That's a big, it's just something that we run into and we talk about so much and, you know, kind of hearing that from you, unfortunately, you know, well, and, and, and I think this is a, also a, a result of people going to film school too much. I think film right. schools are oversaturated as they are. And again, that's against my own interest because I support a lot of different film schools. I teach at a film school, but they push you in a very linear direction. You know, you want to be a DP, you want to be a writer, you want to be a director, right? They're not really focusing on a lot of the, the lower end, below the line trade skills yeah. that are incredibly important to any film set. And fulfilling. I mean, they, they really are. 100%. And, and honestly, especially if it's a union job, you're probably making more as a teamster than you are Over as the, the writer. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, but nothing in film school is saying, hey, it's sexy to be a, a location. You also have healthcare. Uh, you know, nothing, no one in film school is telling you, hey, it's sexy to be a location manager, right? Right. And that's a, actually a real world problem we have right now in Tampa Bay. We have very, very few location managers, so few that we're having to pull from Orlando or, course, yeah. uh, or, 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 uh, or Miami or even Jacksonville every once in a while. And the reality is a location manager in this market, because we are a commercial market, prices are generally overinflated compared to a feature focused market mm -hmm. or even a TV focused market. An average location manager here in town is making six fifty a day plus their kit and per diem. Um, that's really good money, especially if you're starting out. And I have tried to have this conversation with so many people that I look at and say, wow, you have the logistical know-how to do this very well. Why don't you transition into this? You'll work every day of the week. Um, and they just – it's been – drilled in their head so much that that's not the creative thing to do, right. um, that they just don't see it as an option. And I, I think that is that is a, a failing of film schools. They've put this idea in your mind that you have to be one of these three things to have a fulfilling career in, in right. film, and that's not true. Yeah. Well, and I also, you know, I think personally just what I've encountered, we're starting to run up against a, a wall of not having crew period, not just locations, but it's just hard to find the crew to fill all the positions. And when I say crew, I'm just not, you know, competent crew, 
you know, crew that has experience and knows what they're doing. Because like you said, when you get on a big enough project, it's not learn on set time. You know, that's for your $250,000 indie. Sure. But anything, you know, half a mil or over, like you got to start showing up and putting up and America's dealing with that itself, you know, plumbing, you know, all that you, we have a hard time filling those positions and it's just kind of going across the board. Well, and you know, in, in Tampa Bay, we have about 22 to 2300 people working in film and digital media. And that's kind of broad. I mean, digital media could be everything from, uh, you know, you're doing web videos. To, I, I mean, unfortunately, it includes like, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but that's like wedding videographers and, right. you know, Bob from IT who has a camera who does videos. So right. it's kind of a nebulous number. But of that 22 to 2,700 people, there's really only about 160, 170 people who I would say are meaningfully working in the film space. And when I say meaningfully, I mean, they're consistently employed, they're able to pay their bills, uh, and they're of an experience level where they could basically work on anything. If it was coming through town, they had the opportunity to. And that really translates to being able to facilitate three large scale commercials at any given time, or one, maybe two feature films at any given time. Anything beyond that we can't find the crew and we're having to pull from other markets. And that's really an inhibitor in growing the overall uh, production activity in our space in a meaningful way, right? We still get a lot of productions, but now all of a sudden, instead of hiring locals, they're bringing in people from out of state, right. which is great for me as a film commission because I'm still tracking those numbers and they're still putting heads in beds in the yep. hotels. They're still spending money here, but that's not employing locals. Right. Um, so a lot of times, and you know, I won't speak for, for the Pinellas side, uh, you know, I, I'm sure, but I, I'm sure they experience phone calls as well, where people are calling and saying, Hey, I haven't gotten on a job. You know, I keep applying. And then you start looking at their resume. It's like, you are applying for jobs that are so far outside of your reach that it doesn't even make you look good by attempting it. Right. right. Someone's gonna look at that resume and say, you don't know what you're doing. Like, why would you thought this was a good idea to apply? And I'm not trying to discourage anyone from, from chasing those opportunities, but don't have a, a year experience outside of you know film school and try to apply to be a gaffer on a multi-million dollar feature film. That's not going to happen, guys. Um, so things like that really hurts our market in a lot of ways because um, we don't have that deep, uh, the depth in the, the, the talent pool um, yet, though I think there's plenty of people who could gain that experience, but they try to, to jump the ladder and go too far up. So with that said, how, how should someone like that get to that point. They want to be a gaffer on a, on a $5 million job, yeah. whatever the case may be. Um, how do they get there without um, shooting themselves in the foot too early? So I, I think you have to know the truck, if that's what we're talking about right now, like just specifically G&E. You need to know that truck backwards and forwards. And I don't mean just a, a one-ton. You should know a, a two-ton, a five-ton, a 10-ton truck. Backwards and forwards. Every last piece of, of equipment you can put in there. If you can not only load that truck, but unload that truck and know every piece and how it works, then you should be comfortable saying, yes, I can be a gaffer. Now, that doesn't speak to talent. Maybe you can light something, maybe you can't, but you should at least know all the tools of your trade. And the best way to get there, honest to God, is working through one of the equipment houses here in town. And I can't tell you how many people I've told, reach out to Bob and Doug over at at First Unit, you know, uh, talk to Greg Wolf, see if you can't come out and start working on their trucks, loading, unloading them, hopefully paid. But even if it's unpaid, spend a weekend and start looking at those pieces of equipment, figuring out how they work, how to maintain them. 
those are fundamental skills that you don't learn in film school necessarily. And you certainly don't have access to as many pieces of equipment as you do. And whatever your position is on a film set, there is an entry level way, just like that example, where you need to know the top and bottom of everything that goes on with your department. Until you get there, you are not a department head. You are not right. a key. You're, you shouldn't call yourself that and you shouldn't apply for those jobs. Figure out ways to gain those knowledge. You know, And you don't have to go to film school to know any of this stuff. We live in a day and age where you can find anything on YouTube, literally anything. Um, look things up. Be inquisitive. If you're not trying to learn something every day on a film set, why are you there? You know, and, and there's so much you can learn just from osmosis and watching other people around you work. It drives me nuts when I make a set visit and you see the PAs and they're sitting there you know, screwing around their damn phone uh, or they're, they're joking around. It's like, watch what people are doing. Why aren't you, I mean, mentally taking notes, right? Why, why aren't you seeing how people are prepping for the next scene? Instead, you're sitting there drinking coffee and flirting with the, the other PA. Like yeah, that, all the time. That's not getting you anywhere. Um, so don't come to me the next week and say, hey, I didn't get hired again for this job. Well, I saw you on set, man. Like, there's no reason anyone would hire you back. Yep. You know, um, is I'm a firm believer in the law of lowest common denominators. If there's something wrong in your life or your career, you could always track back to yourself. It's always going to be come down to a decision you made or something you could have done differently that could have put you in a better position. Yep. So self-responsibility. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's a lot of that to go. There's a lot of that to go around, though. I mean, especially on film sets. Oh, well, 100%. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, that's there's, not symptomatic of Tampa's yeah. market, by the way. That's no. anywhere across anywhere, the country. Anywhere. Uh, I mean, we've been in jobs from Tampa up to Jacksonville down to Sarasota. I mean, you see it on yeah. every job. Um, jobs of our own. I mean, I've Josh and I have had conversations about, um, you know, new team members on uh, for TSM. And sometimes they get a second chance and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, nationwide, I mean, you're talking about a, a country of over 300 million people, right? There's less than 500,000 people nationwide working in film and digital media. Uh, I had a meeting last night with someone from L.A., and I had never met this person before. I didn't even work in his sort of very sub-genre of the film industry, and yet I was able to mention five different people that I'd worked with three of which he had worked with. I mean, that's how small it, it really always is. It really is a niche market. It really is. And I, I bring that up because if you screw up in one set and you don't try to make amends and grow from that experience, if you just keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again, that gets around very quickly. And especially if you want to think of it more on a, a micro level, just in the Tampa Bay area, you're talking, again, like 160, 170 people. That gets around really quick, and you will never work again in this market. Yeah, I agree. We've gotten those phone calls. You know, oh, about, oh. about people. I oh, mean, yeah? Yeah, I, I have, for sure. I mean, oh, yeah. especially especially crewing for, for our jobs. Um, and I get I get random people asking me for, you know, hey, do you know any grips in the area? Because I've already exhausted my list, yeah. and I provide a few extra names. And when I'm talking to that producer or, or uh, you know, another crewer, I don't consider myself a crewer by any means, but I because I own a production company, I get some crewers that call me, um, and we've had conversations about a few people. I'm like, yeah, and we end up having the same similar thoughts. And yeah. you can just hear it in the person's voice. And they're like, hey, um, talking about, um, you know, Susie Q. And I'm like, oh, I have a feeling you have the same thought as I do. And they're like, yeah, yeah we do. So, um, you know, if you make a mistake or you don't um, and you don't if you make a mistake, just own it and and grow from it. Yeah. You know, you, you're right. You have to have self-awareness 
that, you know, you walk away and you, if you're, if you're going, Oh, I feel like I, I killed today. It was awesome. It was awesome. But you're, but you're continuing to not get phone calls back. Then you're not having that self-awareness. Yeah. Like there's clearly something going on that you're being, you're oblivious to your own mistakes. Yeah. You know, and again, the law of lowest common denominator is always yourself at the end of the day. You know, you have to take responsibility for things. And, uh, this was actually on one of the, the features that I worked with Josh on, um, I had two PAs and they showed up 30 minutes late on set. Uh, and worse, they were hotboxing. Uh, so they, they, for those that are not uh, initiated, they were smoking the marijuana inside of their car. Uh, and we couldn't find them. And we got to the parking lot and it was like a scene from a movie where they open the door and like just, Cheech and just like Cheech and Chong, the smoke just billows out. And they are so bombed out of their goddamn minds. And they thought it was a good idea to, at that one moment, bring the mail they had just picked up from the office to our lead actor, who's a very famous Academy Award winning actor. Um, And they're in the middle of a scene, literally in the middle of a scene, and they stumble right through set, walk walk right up to him mid-line and hand him his mail, giggle, and then one of them asks for his autograph. Swear to God this happened. Um, and, and needless to say, they did not get hired again. Uh, and more to the point, I have looked them up several times over the last few years on Facebook and neither of them are working in the film industry anymore. Yeah, um, so there, there are people out there like that. Um, you that is one of the worst train wreck stories I think I've ever heard. I, oh my God. I, I did not see that coming. It was amazing in slow motion and to just end, <laughs> put a little cherry on top of that. The actor got so pissed off. He, Left set, went to his trailer, locked the door, and refused to come out. And it oh, took uh, myself and the producers working with him and at some point calling his agent and trying to talk to him. He was ready to quit the project. Like, this is the most unprofessional moment of his, his career. You know, there's a lot of drama there, of course, um, not only because he's an actor, but it was just kind of a crappy situation. But, I mean, that, that could have derailed a multi-million dollar movie. Two because dudes in a hot boxing. Hot boxing like in the parking Apple lot. Express is, it, what, is what came to mind it, for me. <laughs> that's that's pretty close to how these guys were. So um, you can't be that guy and expect to continue to work. Yeah, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I, let's let's shift to a positive here yeah. for the for the area. Um, wh- why should productions be taking place in Tampa? So it, there's a, a lot of. And I'll, I will talk for, for Pinellas County as well, because I think we work very well collectively as an area, as a region. Um, there is a banality to the Tampa Bay area, and I say that in the best way possible. It's not something I'd put in the postcard, and I think the Visitor Bureau hates it when I say that. But there, there is nothing really defined about Tampa Bay that someone from the Midwest would know as an iconic thing, right? Yeah. If you you mention someone into Iowa, you know, what's Florida? They'll mention Mickey Mouse and they'll mention Art Deco, Miami Beach, right? And maybe swamps. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what they think all of Tampa Bay is. But if you ask them to pick out Tampa Bay on a map, nine out of 10 times they can't do it. Ask them to describe what our downtown skyline looks like, we have no idea. Um, even our beaches, as beautiful and world-renowned as they are, it's not something that's so iconic in someone's head that they know what it looks like, you know? And outside of the, the Don Cesar, there's really not that Art Deco Miami look to our beaches. It's something very different. So we have the ability to be a chameleon uh, to just about any production coming through town. And... We've had Tampa stand in for New York, Chicago, 
Vancouver. And you can't get those shots on a wide, right? That's never going to work. And something like New York City is incredibly iconic. You know, you can't fool that. But at a street level, you know, uh, not to pull a film school term, but the only reality is is what's in the frame, right? So whatever you're framing, that's that's what it is that day. And we are able to be so many different things for productions. Um, and we also have the luxury of just our, our great weather. Now, that's shared between all the cities in Florida, right? But because you are so pigeonholed if you're in Miami to a certain look or you're, you're dealing with, with Orlando's looks, right? There's not a whole lot of variety there. So we not only have the same weather that Miami and Orlando does, but we have more locations um, and more locations in a centralized area. So if you right. were to drop a pin downtown Tampa and draw a 60 mile radius around it, think of everything that's in driving distance of a major metropolitan area, one of the, well, the best uh, small medium-sized airport in the United States. You have amazing world-class beaches. You have downtown. You have ethnic enclaves like uh, Ybor City. But you also have incredibly rural agricultural areas like Plant City, Thanonathasa, Sun City Center, Ruskin. That's all within 45 minutes or less mm-hmm. of an international airport. Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah. you can't find it anywhere else. And on a given day, you can do a company move. If, One, if, yes. if absolutely necessary. I mean, obviously, and, you know, as long as you stay away from the four to six range, you'll, you'll actually be able to get there yes. within an hour. Uh, yeah. yeah. Full disclosure, the Howard Franklin Bridge is a nightmare. Yeah. It never will be anything other than that. But, uh, but to your but point, all, Josh, all cities all, have, that's what I was going to say. All cities have bad traffic issues this day and time. Um, but, you know, you can do a company move. Uh, right. We have a, 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 a fairly high end commercial shooting today. They have four different moves. They got in. Uh, before lunch and, you know, vastly different looks within a a 10 minute drive from one another. You can't really get that a lot of places. We've, we've been on plenty of jobs that are like that, you know, where the, whether it's a four day job and all four, all four days are very different looks and you type in the address to all four days and you're like, oh shit, they're like 17 minutes away from each other. Like your, your, your morning to make crew call is the, is the same as long as you, you know, leave on time, but that's, you know, universal. I've Um, been that on, on jobs to where, you know, commercial comes into town and they have used us for several different looks for several different, you know, regions that that spot will air all in the same place. Yep. You know, so they get a lot of bang for their buck here, you know, just cause they're able to get, maybe all their year's content, yeah. you know, while you're here. And then I've even seen them to where when they're, we're doing the commercial stuff, they're also doing all their social media and everything else at the same yeah. time. Well, and they're also able to stretch their budgets a little further than a lot of other places. And yep. it, it's kind of a hard w- thing to wrap your head around, especially when I'm talking to producers, because when they start asking about crew rates, crew rates are traditionally more in Tampa Bay than they are in a lot of other markets, even more than Miami and Orlando. And it's because we, we get fewer overall jobs and those jobs are usually higher end and people are able to meet their, their, their needs by working one or two jobs a month. Right. So why am I going to bust my, my hump for, you know, two fifty a day when I just wait till next week and I'll get on that public's job and I'll be making six fifty a day. Right. So right. they have to, to, to weigh the pros and cons of paying people more, but Overall costs are so much less here. I mean, you're getting housing and hotels for a third of the price of a lot of other markets. You're getting your equipment rentals at much less. Your food costs are down. Your location fees are, are either nominal or non-existent in most places. We're right. not 
we're not LA where you're charging a thousand dollars just to yeah, apply guys, for a permit. Do you guys right? charge for permits? Zero. Neither does Pinellas County. Uh, in fact, we don't charge for any municipal services outside of police officers, which you know because you got to pay for their time. You got to pay for their time, or uh, county or city employees who have to come in after hours. If mm. it's normal operating hours, we don't charge for oh, that because they're already working. Um, but if you need to have a, a park manager come in and open a gate at you know three o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah, you're going to pay for them to get out of bed, right? We're not going to cover that cost. But everything else, we don't charge. So you start doing the math, and all of a sudden, yeah, you might have balked at the idea of paying someone more, but the overall rates for everything else are so much less that typically it's it's about a 22% savings we've found. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, 22% is... Oh, it's is, significant. Yeah. And you add in for the, the higher end productions that we do have an incentive in, in Hillsborough and, and Pinellas County of 10%. Now, all of a sudden, you're you're back up to that 30% ballpark um, that you'd be getting in Savannah or uh, or Georgia at large or Louisiana. The only thing you really can't do with that intangible is do debt financing, um, which you can off of a tax credit. So right. if you're, you need that money up front, eh, that saving's not quite as good. But if you are in a, a comfortable financial position, that 20% actually is going to go a lot further than a tax credit will. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the, the indie features these days are almost entirely financed off of debt, right? Um, which which puts us at a disadvantage overall. And that goes back to learning, you know, film business, right? I mean, that's they're not taught, teaching debt financing in, in any film school I've been to. So yeah. um, things like that, uh, you know, we can be competitive as a region. And I, I think, you know, why I like bringing up Pinellas is that we work very well with each other. And I know you've had uh, Tony on, I believe, on another podcast, but we don't double up on locations. Pinellas is very different looking than Hillsboro. And we have those different locations, what, in a 14 mile distance, yep. you know, I mean, that, that's, that's nothing. Oh, you can, you can be from Tampa to something in St. Pete in 20, 20, 25 Absolutely. minutes. I drive it every morning to work. Yep. Um, Cause even though I work at or Tampa side, I live in the St. Pete side. So. Right. Trader. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you see um, the future of the area then? Uh, especially, you know, through the lens of a film commissioner. So, uh, and I'm, I'm sure people at Film Florida will be mad at me for saying this, but I don't see there being much hope in regaining a statewide incentive. Um, we're, there's a there's literally two bills going through the the House and the Senate this year um, that are pushing through it, but that's been true the last three years, and we've not got anything done. And I think fundamentally. Uh, there is, and particularly in the House of Representatives, there just is not an appetite to support any incentives. It's not anti-film per se. It's just they just don't appreciate incentives. They're ideologically opposed to it. And you can have a conversation with someone and change their mind. But if they're ideologically opposed to something at their soul, like that is an insurmountable object, right? You cannot right. move that person in a different direction. So that's not going to happen. And I, so why I bring that up is I, I think it's a fallacy at this point to say that we can't grow as a market because we don't have statewide incentives. I don't tell anyone that anymore. I haven't in two years. That is something that just needs to be stripped from our lexicon. Let's move on. Let's figure out other ways to grow. So what you've seen us as a region do is we've been focusing more and more on commercials, and we've been hugely successful at that. And there, that's a, a strategic move because commercials are not traditionally incentivized, right? right? They don't have the time or luxury to put in an application, to go through all the auditing and the accounting processes. Because let's be honest, especially for anyone listening who's in the commercial world, you're putting out a bid on an RFP on a Friday and you're hoping to get it by Tuesday and then you're right into production, right? You don't have 
the, the, the time luxury that you would on a feature or a TV show. Um, so we've been focusing more on commercials. We've been focusing more on unscripted TV shows. And unscripted is a, a polite way of saying reality, but it's so much more than the Jersey Shore or uh, Siesta Key or what was the one that just shot over in St. Pete? Uh, Florabama Shore. Yeah, Florabama. Um, you know, it's it's everything that's on History Channel, right? It's it's everything from Ancient Aliens uh, Josh Gate show. to Josh Gate Show, which yeah. is an exhibition unknown, to, um, you know, any docuseries or dramas, right? That's all unscripted TV uh, that we can be taking advantage of. And Florida has a very rich history. Yes, there's Florida man at large, right? Uh, and all the crazy stuff that, that happens in Florida. There's also just a lot of good history that we can tap into and a lot of interesting characters. Um, we've been working very heavily with Nat Geo. Um, and then on the, the Pinellas side, I know they've been working just as hard to, to capture some of those unscripted TV shows. So we're growing in those two markets. And then I think as a beneficiary of just being more well-known and more in the limelight by going after those projects, we've been having productions call in the, the low-budget feature range. And when I say low-budget, I mean anything $8 million or below, um, saying, you know, hey, what's going on in Tampa Bay? Like, we, we keep hearing about it. We've never been. What can we do to experience Tampa Bay? And and I know uh, Pinellas side does this as well, but we, we go the extra mile to really try to bring these people in and what we call familiarization or a fam tour. So they just get an idea of what Tampa is because in their head, they're thinking again, Orlando or Miami beach, we're neither of those things, but they can't discover that unless they're actually here boots on the ground. So I think you've seen strategically both film offices and the, the region focusing more on bringing people here for experiences. So they understand what Tampa Bay is. And as a result, We've had just an amazing number of productions come through. In fact, uh, I, I can't disclose what they are, but we have seven features alone shooting between January and February of this year, all of which are over a million, but under eight million. So these are significant productions. Um, most of them are looking to hire anywhere between 40 to 120 local crew members. And that doesn't even include the actors, right? I mean, uh, actors get to benefit so much more on features than they do on commercials just because of the scale is bigger, right? So there's more opportunities to be a day player or a, a featured player or even an extra. So that's that's how our market is going to grow. I don't think we can strategically count on feature films or really go after them because we don't have that 30% carrot that uh, – uh, that a Georgia or a Louisiana has, but we can be incredibly effective in the commercial and unscripted spaces. And that's really, I think, where our identity is going to be. We need an identity as a region. And as far as film entertainment goes, that's where I'm focusing on. Uh, I think uh, Tony, just because of his background, Tony Armour is the film commissioner of Pinellas County. Um, he might have a, a slight, slightly more of a slant towards features, but I think collectively our identity going forward is going to be commercials and unscripted. All right. Yeah, I mean, you've kind of hit on a lot of the points, man, today that I was hoping you would nail. I was uh, really excited. You didn't have to give me a beer. I know. I gave you just a water. But <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and, and then I couldn't even take you out for a beer afterwards because I got another one on yeah. right after you. But we'll, hit, we'll do cigars again one yeah, day. Yeah, soon. Yeah. But um, maybe I can get you. I don't know. If you're the smoking type, I don't know if you'll. I'll, I'll join. Yeah. The uh, I know he can usually if you roll a jack bottle down the street he'll come out after it. But. Uh, yeah, a little, little bourbon or whiskey. I'm yeah. I'm I'm hauling butt down that lot, <laughs> making right, sure it doesn't disappear. right there with you. <laughs> so, but um, I was really excited when you said, "Yeah, man, I knew you would be super super great to have on, and you have not disappointed." Um, we'll have to do it again. 
Yeah, anytime. Think, and a little uh, bit later this year. If anyone wants to get a hold of me, it's filmtampabay.com. Um, otherwise, follow us on social media, which is also Film Tampa Bay. Uh, I employ an extremely snarky uh, PR uh, Facebook manager, um, so we always have delightful tweets. Well, and your, and your Facebook posts. account alone is just highlights of yeah, my day. Yeah, I, I have zero filter, as you might have <laughs> seen just from this this podcast, but that's certainly true on social media as well. So, yeah, yeah follow I, me there. I have thoroughly enjoyed some of the posts. <laughs> I, I have seen, I've actually had um, Alyssa, my marketing coordinator, and she handles our social yeah. as well. She sent me some screenshots every once in a while. She's like, whoever's doing this is hysterical. No, no, <laughs> we... we we like to clap back and then be on the uh, the cutting edge there. So if someone's nice. got some stupid meme, we'll figure out a way to make it ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sounds I good. I think I saw a Baby Yoda one. Oh, recently. that was mine yesterday. That was I, yours? Will, yeah. I will take full credit for that. Beautiful. <laughs> you can't not do the Baby Yoda no. post right now. No, no. no. I got to put my, my film school knowledge to use, yeah. right, with my janky Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why else did I get a degree and spend, you know, $100,000? Yeah. It's for janky Photoshop. That's why. Love I mean, well, that's kind of, I feel like it's kind of the future. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely, uh, guys. Definitely yeah, appreciate it. Thanks again, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. If you gained any value from the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, contact us on Instagram at Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. The show was recorded at Two Stories Media Studios in Clearwater, Florida, and produced by Two Stories Media and Greenlit Entertainment. <laughs>